0: Well, good morning. I'm thankful for the worship team and leading us in song today. And singing is actually the focus of this message I'd like to share with you today. Singing is something that we're all involved with week after week here as a church. So it's important that we understand why is it that we do this every week. So I want to talk about that from a biblical perspective, there's a lot of different ideas on what singing is for in the congregation of God's church. So this will be a part of this vision series as a church, and what we want to do is, is root our understanding of these ideas of our vision in the Word of God. So we're going to look at two different New Testament passages that specifically mention this phrase, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and look at the context around these passages and see what God has for us there in his word. What is singing for when we gather together? And in particular, in in the gathering of the church to worship, what does God have in mind? So let's pray, if you would pray with me, and ask God to lead us as we study his word. Lord God, we do depend on you and rely on you. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. Lord, teach us as we sit at your feet and listen to the things that you have said, the things that you have inspired in your word. Lord, you, by your spirit, would you teach us, teach us all. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been involved in music in the church for literally as long as I can remember. I grew up in a, in a church where my family and some other families helped start it just before I was born. And so I grew up helping out. And my mom was the church pianist. And she served faithfully for decades as the church pianist, week after week after week. She still serves uh, to this day uh, as the Lord enables her. And so from when I was a toddler, I would help and my family would help prepare the service, uh, setting up things and setting up folding chairs. And, and we'd carry hymnals out and put hymnals on every other folding chair. And that was one of my jobs as a kid. I have such vivid memories of as I got older, I could carry more hymnals. And I, got, I think I got up to seven. And I, I could put them on every other chair. Um, I remember worshiping God through song in my church growing up. We would sing always a hymn at the beginning of the service. My mom would play the piano, and we had people singing. It was a pretty, pretty uh, sim- simple approach. And we always started with a hymn, and we closed with a hymn, and we had a couple of hymns in the middle. And um, uh, always, of course, singing verses 1, 2, and 4. <laughs> that poor verse 3. What a... <laughs> Someday, just read all the verse 3s that you missed growing up. We always sang 1, 2, and 4. Uh, shortly after, we got these spiral-bound books that, that said uh, praise songs on the top, and so uh, we would put our hymnals on every other seat, and we put the praise song books on the seats in between, and as a kid, I would help put those out each week. And those songs, some of those were more, uh, some other scripture songs and other uh, spiritual songs that were written more recently, and so... Whoever was leading up front would uh, say which book we were using and which song, which number to turn to, and we would sing together. Wonderful memories. One of the things I remember in my church growing up is that everybody sang. I looked around. I don't remember ever seeing anybody who was not singing. It was a really great memory. What a great uh, legacy my church has passed on uh, uh, to me growing up. I remember the overhead projector stage. We went into that, you know, of course, and handwritten overhead transparencies. And it seems like kind of a simple thing, but it actually changed a lot for us because in doing so, it opened up this flood of new songs because it became very easy to introduce a new song. Uh, People could, as long as the song leader knew it and an instrument uh, could play it and they could write out the lyrics, we could learn new songs. So it just opened up this whole world of, of new songs. Some of our um, uh, song leaders in my church started writing some of their own songs to p- taking scripture and putting it to song and they'd write it down and put it on the overhead and we'd sing that together. Just wonderful memories of growing up singing in church regardless of those style changes. Then in college I had a variety of different experiences. I visited different churches around my college uh, when I was there and uh, was, was exposed to a lot of different denominational um, backgrounds and some different approaches to singing in church. I got to visit a historic black church in Mississippi uh, on, a, on a service trip and h- hear how they sang and, and learn about their, uh, their tradition, even though the only song I knew there was Amazing Grace. I didn't know any of the others, but, uh, but boy, did they sing. I remember visiting some inner-city churches in New York City in my college days. I was involved in a music ministry group in college, and we visited a lot of different churches and learned about how they approach singing. And then um, we moved to Massachusetts right after I graduated from college. My wife, Quinn, and I moved uh, to Massachusetts. Didn't have any kids at the time. And uh, there I started serving in a Baptist church, uh, leading their worship ministry. Uh, That year was 1994, and... Um, Since 1994 until now, there's been tremendous change in churches as to how they approach music. The whole praise and worship genre was about to explode uh, uh, across the map in not just America, but around the world. And since then, there's been a lot of change, a lot of debates, a lot of discussions on what kind of instrument should be used in church, what kind of styles should be used in church. There's been a a lot of that variety and discussion over those 30 years. And then when you back up even further, you know, even though there's so much change in those 30 years, uh, when we think in the scope of church history, there's been a tremendous amount of variety and change to how churches sing across cultures, across continents, different countries, different kinds of instruments, different kinds of traditions. But all of us are still compelled to follow what God teaches us in his word about why we sing together in church. Why do we sing? And how do we get that answer from scripture rather than just from a particular tradition? Well, the first passage I'd like to look at at with you is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. And this is one of these two passages that mention specifically psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So we'll look at both of them. We'll spend more time in the Ephesians text. And before I get to reading that passage in in Ephesians 5, I'd like to give some context of the section that it's in in Ephesians that leads us up to this passage. I would suggest that Ephesians 5, these verses, are part of a greater section that begins at Ephesians 4, verse 17. And I say that because at the beginning of chapter 5, there's the word therefore, which is a linking word that connects it to some discussion that was happening just before that. And then further up in chapter 4, there's another therefore, so it connects to the discussion before that. And if we back all the way up to where it seems like this this uh, this ch- train of thought begins, it's Ephesians 4, verse 17. Here's what it says. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So this is kind of a, the way he phrases this, it's sort of like he's, standing up and making an important announcement. He's saying this, the Apostle Paul says, this I testify in the Lord. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So he's setting up this idea of their thinking, of their thoughts. You're not to walk like the Gentiles. And what he means by that are, are non-believers, those who do not have their faith in Christ. Do not walk as they do. Do not think like they do. You are to think differently. This is a theme that he sets up for this whole section. After that, he talks about uh, how the thinking of unbelievers is darkened. It's darkened understanding that they became callous in their thinking, that there's ignorance and hard-heartedness among them. So that's one of these themes that just want to lay out as a context for what we're about to talk about. He goes on to say that this wrong-mindedness, this wrong thinking has led these unbelievers to sinful sensuality and impurity in verse 19. And he says, this is not the way for those who are in Christ. This is not your way. Their darkened thinking has led them to this impurity. And this is not the way for you to live. And the way to affect your behavior is to start back. How are you thinking? And so he's addressing that issue with these uh, believers. He talks about putting off your old selves, being renewed in the spirit of your minds to live in righteousness and holiness. Then he says in verse 25, he says that you need to put away falsehood. He says, speak truth to one another. This is an important theme. I'll say that little phrase again. Speak truth to one another in verse 25. Because we belong to one another as believers. This is a theme of this whole section as you read through it. Um, Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. He's talking about Christian community. That we have a responsibility to care for one another. To speak truth to one another. To feed one another with the truth. Chapter 5 then continues, like I said, with a therefore he says, therefore, imitate God. Live a life of love. Live like Jesus Christ. Let there be no immorality or impurity or filthiness or crudeness. He says, imitate God in how you live. In verse 8, he says, walk as children of light. Let the light of Christ shine on you. So, this whole progression of thought, again, starts with don't think like unbelievers think. They are led into sensuality and impurity. You need to speak truth to one another. You need to imitate God. You need to walk as children of light. And all of these themes set up our, this passage of Ephesians five, fifteen to 21. So let's read, read this. Re- just follow along as I read this. Look carefully then. Again, there's a connecting word to the arguments before. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So again, think about the context that's led up to this. Don't think like the pagans do. Instead of impurity and sensuality, because of your responsibility as a Christian community and the responsibility you have to care for one another, look carefully how you walk. Don't waste time. Be ready for anything. It says not to be drunk on wine because how else can you be ready for anything? Make use of the time that you have. If you are under the control of a substance, that's debauchery. That's that's foolishness. You're not taking seriously your responsibilities. You have some important responsibilities. But then this next phrase makes this interesting contrast with being drunk on wine. He says, Be filled instead, be filled with the Spirit. So, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means that you are yielded to the control and the direction and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit who is present within all those who are true believers. And the wording here speaks not to a one-time thing, but it's a continual verb where we are to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. An ongoing filling, an ongoing submission to His control. See, when we are regenerated by the Lord at conversion, Scripture says that we are all baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ, into the family of God. We are washed. We are forgiven. We are cleansed. We are made new. This is what we've just declared in communion. Then it says that we are to continuously seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit like a glass that's filled to overflowing with water. Be filled, fully yielded to the control and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'd like to think a little bit more about this with you uh, about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, because we have to remember, and this is important, the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not an energy. The Holy Spirit is not a superpower so that you can accomplish great things that you want to accomplish. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is saying here, be filled with the presence of the person of God. The Holy Spirit is as much God as Jesus Christ is God. He is as much God as the Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. So if he's saying to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, if he is a person, that means that there are things that he thinks that we don't think. There are things that he wants that we don't necessarily want. There are things that he intends to do that maybe are not the same as what we intend to do. There are purposes that he has that are not the same as the purposes that we might have in our own. So if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it means I am laying down what I want. And I'm submitting myself to what he wants. I'm laying down and submitting my thoughts to be submitted to his thoughts. I'm laying down my priorities to be submitted and yielded to his priorities. See, the Holy Spirit's a person, not a superpower to accomplish what you want. He is the person of God who wants to accomplish what he wants. So to be filled with him is as much about laying things down as as much as it is to be filled. It's to be filled with what he wants and to lay down our own desires before him it's giving up as much as it is receiving he has plans and intentions and priorities and when we are filled with him we will be yielded to the things that he wants the most so critical question then if we want to be filled with the holy spirit yielded to what he wants what does he want What does the Holy Spirit want? What does he want to do once, if he wants to fill you, what does he want to do once he's there? Well, thankfully, we have verse 19 gives us part of this answer. Look ahead at verse 19. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs the way this, these verbs are structured here is be filled with the Holy Spirit is the command verb to believers. And then addressing one another will naturally flow from you obeying that command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then as you are, you'll address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do once he gets there. Once he, I mean, he's there in every believer, but when he fills you, and you are yielded to what he wants to do, this, in part, is what he wants to do. He wants you to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. As you are filled with the Spirit, this is what happens. He has a plan that may not be the same as your plan. He has a purpose that might not be the same as your purpose, but he supernaturally, through you, as he fills you, will enable you to sing to one another to put it this way he fills you and you sing to the people around you to one another you sing now can you address one another if you're not present with one another can you address one another if you're not singing out loud How can you address one another unless you're actually singing? I take a pretty literal view on this. When he says sing, I think it literally means sing. Address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, but not in your own strength, empowered by the Holy Spirit within you. I'm not saying that everyone who sings is filled with the Spirit, but... Everyone who is fully yielded to the plans of the Holy Spirit, when we gather together and it's time to sing, they sing. They sing to one another because that's what he wants to do, regardless of whether or not it's what we want. Musical worship is intended to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, filling you to impact others, and that's why we need a worshiping community Of believers. This is why we gather here week after week after week. If your mouth is closed and your mind is wandering, you're missing something. If your mouth is closed and your heart is engaged in worship, that's a good thing, but you're still missing something addressing one another. Addressing one another. Our songs are not just for God. We have a holy purpose to yield to the will of the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit wills, what he intends to do, is to fill believers with himself so that they address one another in song. Now this phrase here, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, just briefly on this, there's some discussion on what this means. Psalms, of course, are given to us in the scriptures. Uh, we have those. They're they're, they're just a rich treasure of of songs. Hymns usually have a connotation of being rich in theological truth. Spiritual songs, it's kind of a general category of spiritual songs. And there's some debate on whether they should be three distinct categories of songs. And I think that that might be overstating it. Uh, You look back in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, sometimes these words are used interchangeably where a psalm will be referred to as a song, or a psalm will be referred to as a hymn, and, and vice versa. So with that interchangeability of the words, I think they have different shades of meaning, but I think the point here, more importantly, is there's a variety of songs, a, a, a multiplicity of songs with a singular purpose. Different means, multiple means, with a singular purpose. And that purpose, at least in part, is that we would address one another. And here's why. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, the church builds up the church. And that is such a beautiful thing. Empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit, the church builds up the church. And I think most of you know what I'm talking about. And you've experienced this personally. So many of you told me after that, that COVID shutdown of 2020, when we were able to meet again together, how much you hungered to be here in person together. We hope to never have to repeat that hard season. We are, we are built up as we sing together. And I'm not just talking about the people on the platform. I'm talking about each and every believer here. It's a responsibility that we have to minister to one another. God has designed the church to build up the church. In fact, if you'd bear with me, let me just ask for a show of hands. And you can put up your hands higher the more strongly you're, you agree. <laughs> if you have ever been built up by the singing of the people around you, not up here, out here, by the singing of the people around you, if that is. If that has encouraged your faith, would you put up your hand to testify to it? Yeah, amen. Thank you. That's what I thought. Because that's what God's word says. Right? Sing to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We testify that God's word is true. So all of you, keep singing. Keep singing. All those hands were testimony that you are impacting them. You're building up their faith. Now, of course, there's more than going on in this passage than just blessing one another. Verse 19 and 20 continue. It says, Also singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This shows this second aspect of why the Holy Spirit fills you. The Holy Spirit fills you to sing to the Lord because that's what the Lord wants to receive. Sincere worship and thanks from the hearts of believers. That phrase, with your heart, speaks to sincerity. And we can't muster up our own sincerity. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a result of being filled with the Spirit so we can declare the praise of God and give him what he wants to receive. So just like an investor might take money, put money into a market with the purpose of receiving more money back from that market. What does God invest? He invests himself. The Holy Spirit is God. God. He invests himself into believers to receive back the worship that he desires to receive. To receive back what he desires and what he's worthy of. When you are yielded to the Holy Spirit, yielded to what he wants, singing songs to the Lord from your heart. Here's what's really going on. The holy God of the universe, the creator of all things, is bringing about worship to himself, rightful, sincere, truth-filled worship to himself, and he's doing it through you. In a sense, God is singing the praises of God, but he's using you to do it. How does that make you feel? God is working in you to bring about to himself what he desires to receive. As we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we sing truth to him. We sing praise to him. We give glory to him through Jesus Christ. And every Sunday, be aware of what's going on. The holy God of the universe is bringing about worship to himself through his people, through you. And then this verse concludes with this other idea. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this is interesting to me because... As we just heard these verses before about singing praise to God through Jesus Christ, I mean, doesn't our attention just turn to the heavens? And we think about God himself and exalting him and praising him. But then he throws in this submitting to one another. He calls our attention back to the Christian community again. It might at first seem like it doesn't really fit. He sneaks in this submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Reverence is worship. So we worship Christ in part by submitting to one another. These two ideas are linked in this passage. Christian community and glorifying God are just woven together. You can't even separate it. It's in the same sentence. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Gathered singing is about God, and it's about Christian community. It includes the way that we are ministering to one another, how we love one another, how we submit to one another, how we edify one another. And it cannot be separated. When God's worshipers are filled with his spirit and what he wants, they will love God and they will love one another. This is what the Holy Spirit wants. And this is what we are to be about every single Sunday. If submitting to one another is reverence for Christ, you could conclude that not submitting to one another is irreverent of Christ. One of the things you don't hear me say as a worship leader, I don't know if I've ever said it, and if I have, it's been just a couple of times, is just close your eyes. We're going to turn down the lights and just imagine it's just you and God. I don't know that I've ever said that, but you could check. (laughs) Because it falls short of God's design. We leave the lights on when we sing here. We have the curvature of these chairs so you can see and hear one another. I encourage you to sing with an awareness of the people around you. Because when you worship God, you are not shutting them out. You are ministering to them. You have a responsibility to minister to them, to love them and care for them. In fact, when you come into a worship service here on Sunday morning, I would love it if you just think two things. I am here to worship and glorify God. And this is the congregation that God has given to me to minister to today. I am here because God is God And I I glorify him, but I'm also here to minister to those around me. And this passage says you minister in part by singing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I'd like to just briefly look at this other passage. I won't spend as much time here, but I just want to highlight the similarity between the two. In Colossians 3, it says... Uh, to set your minds on things above in, as we begin the, the chapter of Colossians 3. So again, a very similar th- theme. Set your minds on things that are above. He says, put to death sexual immorality and impurity. There's that again. Uh, Do not lie to one another, so value the truth. That's in this context as well. Uh, put on compassionate hearts, bearing with one another. Put on love toward one another. All these themes... That were in the context of Ephesians is are also in Colossians chapter three, which leads us to Colossians three, verses sixteen and seventeen, and here's what it says: Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, a variety of songs with a united purpose. As we are filled with the word of Christ, we have a responsibility to teach and admonish one another. We are to sing songs to one another. Songs are intended to be a way that the church builds up the church empowered by the Holy Spirit. The church teaches truth to the church through the word of Christ. And we also, in this passage, sing to God. Thankfulness to God in everything. It's the same in both of these passages. This woven together responsibility we have to glorify God and to sing to one another. We give him thanks always because he's always worthy. We give praise to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, and the church builds up the church. I want to just give an example of how this how this ministry works as we minister truth to one another. Like I said, in both passages, there's this context of sinful sensuality and impurity. It's clear in the context of both of these passages. And we might think, what does impurity have to do with congregational worship? What's the connection? Why is it in both passages about psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms? Well, here's the connection. You see, impurity, sexual sin, chasing after sensuality, those things are not just bad because they're bad for you. They're not just bad because it's not good for your marriage. They're not just bad because it's bad for your witness, though those things are true. But ultimately, impurity is bad because it's a lie. It is false. It is, in fact, riddled with falsehood. Because in chasing after impurity, we're acting as if the holy God does not indwell us. We're acting as if we can chase after impurity and it's kind of a good thing for me to chase after. Or I can kind of manage this and it's really no big deal and it's not really hurting anybody. We can chase after impurity. And, and as Christians, those indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, the problem with that is it's filled with and riddled with deception, lies, and falsehood. The truth is that our holy God is absolute and we are all accountable to him. That holy God indwells in his people and he makes them holy. Impurity is not just harmful, it is false. It's based on a false worldview, a false system, it's full of lies. So when we gather and we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another about who God is, we are tearing down falsehood. And you're tearing down falsehood in a way that's impacting the people around you. It's Think of it this way, that, that we would enter into this, this service here today and we would leave with a whole lot less falsehood than we came in with false thinking falsity lies in our minds as we sang to one another the truth of god it tore down falsehood and you got to be a part of it of tearing down that falsehood in the lives of others this is why as pastors we we carefully pour over the lyrics of the songs that we're singing because we need first and foremost to be singing god's truth the biblical truth um As we minister to one another the truth of God. It's because of this passage. It's because of God's design for songs to teach and admonish one another. As we minister to one another and empowered by the Spirit, the church builds up the church. I'd like to just conclude with a little encouragement for you, if I could. When Keith and Kristen Getty came here in October for their concert. And they were here on Sunday morning, and they were here again on Sunday evening. Their entire band, all of them, I mean, think about it. They have, they have kind of a rough, uh, a rough run to go on tour. They're sleeping on bunks in a bus. They're up late at night. They get a few hours of sleep. They wake up. They got to dress up and meet a whole new group of people. And, you know, they just bounce from place to place to place, singing the same songs, meeting new people, trying to keep their energy up. And, um, you know, they're serving the Lord with their lives. But I know they were physically tired and perhaps spiritually tired. Well, when they left, they expressed to us in no uncertain terms that they were really blessed by how this congregation sang. They were built up and encouraged by your singing. They moved on refreshed from here to the next place. So as they went home, they felt refreshed. As they went on to the next congregation, they brought a little bit of that strength that they received here from you and from your singing. You ministered to them and in turn ministered to the next congregation and the next one and the one after that. You built them up. And I... I'm going to pause a second. I don't want to cry. But I was so proud of you. I was so proud of you. God used you to bless them. To encourage them to persevere. To keep going. To keep ministering to the Lord and to his church. The Holy Spirit fills his people... And the church builds up the church. This is what we are to be about filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the truth of Christ as we sing to one another and to God. And I know what that's like. You have ministered to me, you have built me up, you have strengthened me, you've helped me to realize truth where I was starting to believe a lie, and you've corrected me through singing. You've built up my faith. I know some of you and how you've persevered through some excruciating challenge. And I look out and you're singing. Even when it takes a lot out of you. Thank you. Keep singing. As you do, the Holy Spirit fills you and the church builds up the church. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the precious gift of gathering together to sing. To sing the glory of your name, to sing the truth of your word, to sing to one another, to sing when we don't feel like it, to sing when it's difficult, to sing when we're suffering. And through it, Lord, the spirit works and the church builds up the church and we are strengthened by it. And more glory goes to your name through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this incredible privilege. Build in us, continue to build in us, to be a community of those who worship you in spirit and truth and love one another as we do. Through Jesus' name we pray, amen.